0: Appreciate Marty stepping in, helping out in uh, Jake's absence this morning. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and we will continue in our look at Jesus as the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. I am the true vine, Jesus stated in verse number one of John 15, and my father is the husbandman. We again, from last week and doing just a little bit of review, we understand that a vine would have been a very common agricultural plant in the days of, of the Bible, in the Bible times. Uh, vines would have been very common, particularly with the, the grapes that were used uh, in the making of, of beverages and various uh, uses there in Bible times in the first century. The vine represents the, the joy of the Lord and, and the life of, of Christ, uh, life that comes In Christ, that comes through knowing Christ and being in Christ, of abiding in Christ, truly abiding in Him. That vine represents that life and the satisfaction, the joy, and the gladness that comes from life found in Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit last week about how a vine had been used as an illustration in Psalm 80, in reference to Israel being a vine out of Egypt. And we know that Jesus had told the parable of the labors in the vineyard in Matthew 20. We know that there were Old Testament references in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea also to uh, the vine of Israel. But in this case, Jesus is the vine and the father is the husbandman, the landlord, the owner of the vineyard. And the theme of this chapter, once again, is fruitfulness. And again, while some Bible scholars disagree on the exacts, Interpretation of the branches. I believe that the branches refer to believers, but the dead branches, the ones that are taken out of the way, is a reference to unbelievers. Those who are taken, and we see there in verse number two, they don't bear fruit. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And down in verse six, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Hell is a real place. It's something that is not popular to preach about. I realize that. We've referenced this last week. Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And The rich man died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Revelation 20 makes reference to the lake of fire. Whoever was not found, whose name was not found written in the land's book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. There's everlasting punishment. It is not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But man who rejects Christ, man who turns away from the Lord, rejects God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, because of the holiness of God, because of the consequences of sin for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God because of the nature of sin and because of the nature of God his holiness a person who rejects Jesus Christ who's not in Christ who's not clothed with the righteousness of Christ having never repented of their sins having never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and his resurrection they are condemned already we read in John 3 Not that Jesus Christ came into the world to condemn the world, but that the world was already condemned because of our sin. So hell is a real place. The branches that are taken out of the way, they are burned. They have rejected Christ. They are not vitally attached, receiving life from the vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are not bearing fruit. They are unsaved. And they are taken away and burned. So there is fruit that is essential. A believer, a true believer, will bear fruit. We go back again to the parable of the sower, and the only soil that produced fruit was the good soil, the good grounds. The thorny soil, the the, the stony soil, the hard soil. None of those soils produced any fruits. We, as a matter of fact, we know in the Bible, we could go to Matthew 7, and we read there that a bad tree produces bad fruits. That's repeated again in Matthew 12, in verse 33. There's a reference to false teachers in Luke 6, in verse 43, who produce bad fruit because they are A bad tree. Romans 6 and verse 21 talks about the fruits of shame. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? The unsaved can only produce bad fruits or no fruit at all. False teachers in Jude, in verse 12, they produce withered fruit. And they are described as being without fruits. And Romans 7 in verse number 5 speaks of us in our unsaved states being only able to produce fruit unto death. So the unsaved are represented by the branches that are taken away because they are not receiving life from the vine. It says that every branch in me, that phrase in me is not the same phrase that Paul uses in the epistles to refer to in Christ. It just means that they had an attachment, but not truly, vitally receiving nutrition from Christ, the life, the true vine. They were not vitally attached. They were not truly born again. They were, in a sense, fake branches. They were not real. And again, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats that Jesus will make reference to in other passages that the tares are grown up among the wheat, and then there's a judgment day, and sometimes there are people who are fake Christians, and they do a good job of faking it for a long time. They can put on a front for a while. Judas did that. As a matter of fact, they had just watched Judas walk away, and they were still asking, is it I, is it I, is it I? Not even suspecting Judas, who had been such a fake, but he put on such a front and did such a good job acting, playing the role that the disciples, the other 11, did not even recognize Judas as the betrayer as he left the room that night. He is representative of the dead branch that is taken away and burned. But I want us to see today seven areas of fruitfulness. Because as believers, those who are truly born again, who are attached to Christ, who are abiding in him, who are vitally attached who are receiving life from him they will bear fruits john 15 and verse 2 and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruits we go down in verse number 5 i am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and i in him the same bringeth forth much fruits verse number 8 herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruits so let's talk about fruitfulness we, we, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a farmer. Many of you are gardeners and farmers, and I'm learning. Uh, I appreciate all of you gardeners and, and farmers. Uh, you are uh, heroic because I'm a city kid, and uh, I, I didn't grow a whole lot <laughs> growing up. We didn't have a, much of a garden. We didn't have we had a little bit of a garden uh, in uh, Florida, and my mom would grow some herbs in our backyard uh, here in Indiana, down in Indianapolis, but. Uh, I didn't grow much growing up except for weeds, um, but my dad would have some tomato plants, and uh, we would have a, a few things around the house, uh, but even Kelly and I, we've not even been that successful at keeping plants alive uh, at our house. We've done really well with the succulents. We've got some cacti or cactuses, whatever the correct grammar is on that. Uh, we've got them in, in the, the window of our kitchen, and we're, we're, doing, we're doing well. Uh, we our claim to fame is that we kept a poinsettia plant alive for how many years? Five, six years? I forget how long. Um, we 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 still uh, keep that as our as our number one success. But when you grow something, when you plant, when you farm, when you garden, you expect fruits. It, it's just what you do. You you nurture. You 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 plant. You put the soil uh, the right soil. You. Uh, I, I enjoy, as I'm driving around Lafayette, don't have to go far, and there's farmers, and they're, they're doing, I don't know what all down south um, between here and, and Lebanon, off of 52. They've got, I don't know, uh, an er- irrigation system or something going on. It's fascinating to me. I enjoy listening to some of you talk about farming and, and planting, and there's all the different aspects of the soil um, and then there's all this, the, the data and the statistics and all the different breeds. And I mean, just on and on it goes. It's fascinating. There is, there is a, a real professionalism that comes with farming nowadays. But all that is done for what? So that there's a harvest. So that there is a fruitfulness. I talked last week about signs of life. That is just normal and natural. There is something wrong if a baby is born and there's no signs of life. The NIC unit goes into high gear. There is attempts at resuscitation. I talked about last week about how when Emily was born, she had swallowed her meconium. Kelly had had very hard labor that day. And Emily was born, and she didn't have that immediate cry. And that NIC unit came in, and they shoved that tube down her throat. And I'm just in panic. I'm as a young, you know, father, first-time father. And I'm like, what are you doing to my baby but they knew what they were doing. They, sucked, they, they took that, that um, tube and shoved, shoved it down her throat and they sucked out that meconium because as soon as that tube came out, she was crying. That was a raspy cry. She had that raspy cry, that raspy cough for I forget how many weeks afterward. But they were extremely focused on getting her to breathe because that was obviously essential for her life. A person who was born again We'll have signs of life, and every believer must bear fruit. Every believer who is truly born again will bear some measure of fruit. So what is fruit? What is spiritual fruit? First of all, we know from Galatians 5 that there's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter number 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And we can go through these, and we could look very specifically at each one. We don't have time To rehearse each one, but Galatians 5, in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, meekness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Temperance is Self-control. All those are evidences of the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer. We all should be showing fruitfulness at least in those areas. There should be growth, there should be some measure of fruits the fruit of the spirit that's found in each and every one of us. And none of us are perfect at any of these character traits. But we should be growing, we should be Seeing, there should be evidence of these, of this fruit in our lives. We also could go to Second Peter chapter number one. 2 Peter chapter number one, and we see another list that helps us in understanding fruitfulness for the believer. Second Peter chapter number one, and dropping down to verse number five. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is the overall godliness of character moral correctness it's a vir- virtue is a is an overarching term that speaks to moral integrity moral correctness righteousness in a, in a in a general sense adding to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge into knowledge temperance into temperance patience into patience godliness into godliness brotherly kindness into brotherly kindness charity or love For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at our lives. Is there the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? Is there virtue? Is there knowledge of God, discernment? Is there temperance, self-control, Holy Spirit control? Is there patience, patience with one another, and endurance, perseverance, Is there godliness? Do we look more like Christ? Or do we look more like the world? Brotherly kindness. Do we seek to love one another and to truly be kind in the biblical definition of kindness, not in this fluffy, therapeutic, shallow view of kindness that is just everybody be nice, customer service Christianity, If we don't do any better than Chick-fil-A, then there's something wrong with our Christianity. If that's all we're supposed to do to everybody is just have customer service that reaches the level of Chick-fil-A, well, there are some times where it is sin that has to be confronted in gentleness and meekness, and we have to stand for what is right, we have to deal with the sin, we have to offer correction and counsel, and there's even church discipline, but brotherly kindness, a true, genuine love for one another that seeks God's best for them. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit, the virtues of 2 Peter 1. But James 3 and verse 18 also says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're not being very fruitful in our Christian life when we are always trying to pick a fight, when we have an argumentative spirit, when we're always trying to push people's buttons, trying to get a reaction. Having dealt with school children for, oh, roughly 19 years as an assistant principal or a principal, there were those kids who were always antagonizing. They just knew how to push people's buttons. They knew how to pick a fight. They always knew how to get under somebody's skin. And I would deal with them. And they were always the most innocent people. And it's amazing. Sit in the office. I never did anything. I, didn't, I don't know why I'm here. I didn't do anything. Sit in my office and I talk to them and I start going through the 20 questions and it was all everybody else's fault. Somebody did this. Well, why is their, their nose bloody? Or why um, are they in the office with an ice bag on their arm or their head. Oh, I don't know. I mean just that the, the excuse making and the blaming. And I found I found out there were these kids dealt with them every year. They were nothing but antagonizers. They were constantly picking. Sometimes they were outright bullies. I think the word bully gets overused in education, but they were just sometimes just being unkind. Sometimes they were downright bullying. But they were antagonizing. They were argumentative. They were always trying to get somebody upset. And then they would kind of run and hide. And sometimes they would wait to see how far they could push somebody. And then they would push back or hit back or say something mean in return and come to find out. They had said 50 things or done 50 things. And that person responded one time because they're tired of it. And, of course, that, that child, oh, it's their fault. And sometimes I'd get the parent who would say, well it's the other kid, and I would try to explain to the parent about how their child, with evidence from the teacher and other students, that they had done something 50 times to provoke, but that child is innocent, you know. Is that the character that we have? Always trying to stir up things, always trying to find a reason to get people's dander up and get them angry and provoke to wrath? No, James says that The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In Isaiah 5, God desired for Israel to practice obedience and righteousness and justice. I know justice is a code word all over the news. But do we define justice by God's definition of justice? If we really got what we all deserve, it'd be hell. So the first measure of justice is the fact that we deserve an eternity in hell. And our injustice against God when we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then that injustice is wiped away and we're justified and we're given the righteousness of Christ and we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justice that we don't deserve, but because of the penalty that Christ paid, there can be mercy, there can be justice extended to us, but what we really deserve is hell, if not for the mercy of God. But that word justice has to do with treating people right, treating people in the right way, according to God's standard, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy. It doesn't mean, again, that we just pat everybody on the back and approve everybody's sin and just let everybody kind of do their own thing and we just look the other way when sin is in the camp. No, that's not what justice is saying. Justice has been flipped on its head today and it's all about rights and me getting everything that I want, when I want it, how I want it, and you're going to give it to me and it's going to be free and you're going to pay for it. It's all about rights today. And everybody's a victim. So everybody runs around being a victim and forgets the fact that, in a sense, and I say this respectfully, God is the victim. We've sinned against Him. We've reproached His name. And we deserve to be punished. And we need to look to Christ and be saved and be justified and have the mercy and the grace of God poured out on us. But Israel is commanded to pursue, to to be obedient, to practice righteousness and justice. Micah 6 and verse 8, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Walking humbly with our God is, first of all, salvation. Recognizing that we are sinners, and that we need to repent of our sin, and we need to plead for the mercy of God. That's part of walking humbly fearing him enough that we come to him for salvation but loving mercy and in other words loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates and desiring God's will and God's work and we're to do justly and again treating people the right way according to God's standard according to God's principles we even see in verses 9 and 10 of John 15, verses 9 and 10, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So the fruit of the Spirit of love is right there in verses 9 and 10. As the Father hath loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. We are to continue in the love of God. We're to love God, and as the love of God is shown in our hearts, then that results in a love for others. We love what God loves. We hate what God hates. We do those things that please Him, and then as we love God, as our vertical relationship is improved, as we grow in our relationship with God, we should grow in our love for others. The fruit of the Spirit, exemplified in the the passage there in, in Galatians 5 and in 2 Peter 1, those character traits begin to manifest themselves as we love God more, as we grow in our knowledge of Him. We want to obey His commandments. We have a desire to obey His commandments. We seek God's will, and we seek God's way, and we want to do what pleases Him. So our obedience manifests our love for Him. We go on in verse... 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. How do we get joy? By boozing it up, and drinking it up, and immorality, and non-stop entertainment. Do we get joy, true joy, by just having our feelings assuaged, our conscience salved, by just living sensual lives And always wanting to feel good all the time in every way and be distracted and be scrolling and flipping through and reeling and all the other things that give us eight seconds of pleasure where people can binge watch and be super saturated with entertainment. I'm not saying every form of entertainment is wrong. But that's where a lot of people today in America are trying to find their joy and their satisfaction in nonstop entertainment. We, I've, I used the term a few weeks ago, doom scrolling. It's a new term for, for me even, where you just mindlessly, endlessly scroll on screens. And I, I was at a, a college and I saw in the career room, binge watching is not a skill to put on your resume. But that's a Skill that a lot of people have today. Binge-watching, doom-scrolling. And we don't redeem the time. We can't find joy in eight-second reels for hours on end. We can't find joy in the worldly lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can't find joy there. God says in His Word, Jesus Christ states, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Joy comes from obeying Christ, loving Christ. And verse 12 says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Joy even comes from loving our neighbor as ourself. Someone said to me on Thursday as we were preparing the meal and serving, there was a certain... And this was not said in a selfish way at all. This was not said in a self-serving way at all. But in preparing the meal and getting ready for the family to come, this person mentioned that there was a certain joy and satisfaction in loving others, in serving someone, in giving of our time and our energy and our money. And it's just a small measure of sacrifice. We wish we could do so much more. But there was a satisfaction in serving. There is a joy in serving Jesus. We sit and we soak and we sour and we miss out on the blessing of serving one another. Not everybody is gifted in teaching. Not everybody is gifted the same way. But there is a joy in serving the Lord. And we need to rediscover that joy. There are Christians all around who are missing out on the joy of loving the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're missing out on the joy of serving God by serving others. And I'm not talking about a social gospel here, where we just go out and we try to make our name in the community so that everybody thinks that we're uh, doing all these social justice things, and that then ends up replacing the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. But a genuine service for God by serving others. Verse 17 even continues this. These things I command you that ye love one another. Fruitfulness is found in the fruit of the Spirit, in these virtues of 2 Peter 1, in humility, in service for others, in obedience, in righteousness, in justice. But we also see that fruitfulness is found in witnessing, in sharing the gospel with others. Romans 1 and verse 13, Romans 16 in verse number 5, Romans 16 in verse number 5, where we read, likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponiatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Romans 1 in verse number 13, where we see this fruitfulness of evangelism. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul was rejoicing, in the opportunity to share the gospel, and eventually God would bless his fruitful would bless his evangelism with fruit, where he would later say that there were people who were saved of the household of Caesar. So, as he is chained and in a dungeon, a prison in Rome, he's desiring more fruits, the fruitfulness of souls, of soul winning, of witnessing. Colossians one and verse number six speaks to the fact that the gospel brings fourth, fruits. We know in, I believe it's in Second Corinthians, I get the, the reference mixed up, but there are some that water, there are some that plant, excuse me, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, the fruitfulness of soul winning. We all can do better. There's always improvement in our prayer life. There's always need for improvement in our prayer life and our evangelism, but we need to be Soul-sensitive, Savior-sensitive and soul-sensitive, looking for divine opportunities to share the gospel. There is fruit in witnessing. Thirdly, there is fruit in holiness and obedience. Go down to verse 14. We've talked about this a little bit already. Ye are my friends, if ye do, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So there is, in our loyalty to the Lord, in our return to the Lord, in our love for the Lord, for the great things that He has done for us, in saving us, we return that love in service for Him, in obedience, in holiness, that we have in our hearts and in our minds a desire to please the Lord, to obey him fully, to fulfill his will. And Jesus said that ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You know, it was not unusual for there to be slaves in Bible times. And I know that that is a, a hot topic, and I'm not here to get into all of the differences between American slavery and Roman slavery and the different centuries and the different aspects of it. But that word servant is, is actually doulos. We are slaves of Christ. Now, let's not think of that in a negative way. It speaks to the fact that we, owe Christ, our full and complete obedience. But notice, notice, he says, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. It wasn't very common. It was rare for a slave to reach friendship status. It did happen, but it was rare. Slaves were considered a baser, they had a particular role in society, and they stayed there for the most part. But on a rare occasion, there would be a slave who would reach friend status. This is an incredible thought. We're slaves of Christ. Again, I don't mean that with any negative connotation other than the fact that we are sinners who we owe everything to Christ. So we should be obedient in every way, obeying him humbly and faithfully. But isn't that an incredible thought that as servants, slaves of Christ, as we obey him, as we love him, as we grow in our relationship with him, he calls us our our friend. Isn't that amazing to think that we are friends of God through Jesus Christ? Friendship is extremely important. We love friends. God made us relational. I have friends. It brings tears to my eyes to think of different people through the years. Friends who are near and dear to me. My best friend is my wife, but there are people that God has brought into my path who are dear friends. Get text messages sometimes just out of the blue. Sometimes only talk to them once a year. Friends of all kinds, and there's something special about a friend, but the greatest friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. The hymn hymn writer wrote that song because, yes, they were desiring to be obedient as a slave, as a servant, but that servant-slave relationship was not a dictator, cruel, taskmaster, torturous kind of relationship. It was a relationship of friend, a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we often refer to Christianity, I know in surveys and research and statistics, Christianity is referred to as a religion. We understand that it is so much more than that. It's primarily, and I would prefer to even use the word relationship, but we understand for certain semantics, we Identify Christianity as a religion, but we as true believers, we understand that Christianity is far more, so much more than a religion. Though there are religious things that we do in our service for the Lord, in our worship, in our love for Him, and serving each other and serving Christ. But our relationship with Christ is at the heart of Christianity. And that makes us distinct. No other religion, no other denomination, no other religion false religion no false religion no false religion has the kind of personal relationship with god that we as believers have with christ with god through christ it's incredible it humbles us so holiness and obedience are fruits witnessing is fruits are fruits the fruit of the spirit is a measure of fruitfulness but also fourthly we see that giving Giving is a spiritual fruit. Philippians 4 and verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your accounts. We're thankful, and I'll do a little report summary tonight of our annual business meeting, but I am thankful that there is fruit that abounds to our accounts. And I don't say that selfishly. I don't say that with any ounce of pride, but as a body of believers, we have fruits that is on our account before God and abounds because of our giving. It's a blessing. It's a joy. And it is something that I never want to take for granted because our faithfulness, our worship is also, giving, excuse me, is included in our worship. And it is a measure of fruitfulness When we are a giving people to the Lord's work. And then number five, we see that fruitfulness is measured by spiritual gifts. Or identified by spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are also fruits. Do we realize that each of us as believers are given at least one spiritual gift? I hope to, Lord willing, preach a series or teach a series on spiritual giftedness. We don't have time to get into it, but Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, all speak to spiritual giftedness. We all have at least one as a Holy Spirit-filled individual, as a saved individual. Where is that gift to be exercised? In the church. It's another reason why faithfulness to God's house is so important, because that's where we exercise our spiritual gifts. We have opportunity to exercise them in so many different ways, But what I don't see in those four passages on spiritual gifts, I don't see the gift of criticism. I don't see the gift of complaining. I certainly don't see the gift of gossip. And I didn't find in those passages the gift of sarcasm. But unfortunately, many believers would very clearly claim to have those gifts. They just naturally are bent to criticize They've been called of God to point out all the failures of the preacher and the deacons and all the various church members. Now, they're not going to pick up a finger or do one thing to make the church better or to improve their life, but boy, they can sure point out the flaws in everybody else. And the gift of sarcasm. Now, we all have probably the gift of sarcasm to some degree, but we have to watch it, don't we? Because if we're always sarcastic, we're very cynical, and we can be very... Bitey with our tongue if we're not careful. But there are some who they, oh, I'm just naturally sarcastic. I just naturally insult people all the time. I just don't know what it is. Nothing I can do about it. Is that a gift of the Holy Spirit? Is that a measure of fruitfulness? Some people aren't happy unless they're complaining. They literally believe that their gift to the church is to come and to complain about everything that's not like what they want, or this, or that, or the other. But they're not going to do one iota To make any improvements or to help out in any way. Most of the big complainers that I have met are the do-nothingers. They love to sit around and be the armchair quarterback and tell the coach and the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator and all the coaches on the sideline, tell them all how to play the game. But they're not even going to get up off their couch. But they'll tell everybody how to do it, right? We have those in the church. And then there's the gift of gossip. Evil reports. Evil reports course i'm being facetious tongue-in-cheek here but there are some who they believe they have the gift of gossip they have to have all the juicy knowledge and the more knowledge they get about more people in the church the more spiritual they are the more powerful they become because they've got the goods they've got the knowledge and they got it before susie did or before (laughs) joe did Or before whoever did. And because they got it first and got to repeat it to more people than they did, and because they then get to be the one who got the early reports, that makes them spiritual. You know how it is in the news. Exclusive reporting first on the scene. And some of us as believers, we think that we have a gift of gossip and evil reports, and we are the first one to get the scoop. We're not a part of the problem. We're not a part of the solution, nor are we trying to do anything to be a part of the solution. But we want to be able to spread the gossip. I forget the quote that says that evil reports spread faster than truth can put on its shoes and tie its shoes. And sadly, it can divide churches and it can divide relationships when really we're to be edifying one another. Our spiritual giftedness is to edify one another, to build up the body of Christ for the glory of the Lord. That's fruitfulness. Number six is answered prayer, down in verse number seven. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. This is praying in the will of God. There is fruitfulness in answered prayer. We don't always get the answer that we want, But we are showing our fruitfulness when we submit to the answer that God gives us. And we're content in that. We pray for healing. We pray for a need to be met. But in doing so, we also understand the will of God. So we submit to that while we're also praying for that need to be met, for that healing. And we have a measure of contentment that shows a measure of fruitfulness that the Holy Spirit has been working in our life and that we are abiding in Christ because the waivers we respond to when God answers our prayer in a way that we wouldn't like. We have submitted and we have sought the Lord's will, so we're willing to accept that and be content in that and trust the Lord with it. But answered prayer. And then number seven praise to God is a measure of fruitfulness praise to god hebrews 13 and verse 15 by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to god continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name fruitfulness is found in praise to the lord genuine heartfelt sincere praise not just trite sayings but real praise that honors the Lord, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, thanksgiving, gratitude, the sacrifice of our lips, the sacrifice of our praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Fruitfulness. Where are we at? Is there a measure of fruit in our life? Is there the fruit of the Spirit being made manifest in our lives? Are we... Sensitive to souls and evangelizing, passing out tracts, looking for opportunities and divine appointments that God gives us to share the gospel? What about holiness and obedience? Are we obeying Christ's commands? Are we living an obedient and holy life? Are we giving or are we stingy and are we a big Scrooge and a miser when it comes to the Lord's work? But we can spend big when it comes to certain things that we want to do and we want spiritual gifts have we identified are we seeking the Lord and asking God to help us identify our spiritual gifts and then are we using it and are we using it in the church or is it just sitting stale is it just sitting on the side and it's like that tool in the toolbox that you haven't touched in 10 years and now you're now you got a project around the house, and you're like, where, where is that tool? I knew I had. I used it somewhere about 10 years ago. And that's the way some people are in their spiritual gifts. Is there answered prayer? Is there praise to God? True, sincere, truthful praise to God. See, all of this fruit, all of this fruit-bearing is done by the power of God and through the power of God. It's not of us, for without Him we could do nothing. This fruitfulness is not manifested by our own strength. Verse number five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. We don't muster this up on our own. We don't read enough self-help books and read after enough gurus out there to get us to the point that, oh, yeah, I'm finally going to be producing spiritual fruit. It's of the Lord. We depend upon him. Without him, we could do nothing. Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Too many believers have stale fruit. Oh, I serve the Lord. I was on fire for God for about two years after I got saved. And then so and so offended me and the preacher didn't take the same point that I made and what I thought and this happened and that happened and I realized there are good reasons sometimes to leave a church. But we never leave serving the Lord. We never leave faithfulness to God. But there's a lot of Christians out there, I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to and they have stale fruit. The tools are still in the toolbox. And They blame the church, they blame the preacher, and they blame all the other congregants for their unfaithfulness. When Jesus said, your dependence is on me, your life is from me, through me you produce fruits. So there's no excuse. We can still remain faithful and obedient. I realize that we would not choose righteousness on our own, but God showed us our sinful condition through his word. And we responded to that truth of the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we responded to that truth and repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. But now we are then called to bear fruits. We're called to a life of personal holiness. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And I know in Ephesians 1, in verse number 4, we get all caught up in the word predestination. And people take their theological systems and they put them on the tip of a sword and they slice and they dice and they devour and they eat each other up and friendly fire because they got to win with their theological system. And I'm not here to get into all that. We get all caught up in that word predestination in Ephesians 1 and verse 4. But what are we predestined to? That That ye should be holy and without blame before him in love. We don't take our theological systems and beat each other up with them. No, we are to understand that our call of God... He loved us before we ever loved him, and we are chosen to do what? To serve him, to obey him, to bring forth fruit, and that that fruit should remain constant, faithful. The measure of success in our world today is on the nest egg, and the numbers, and the noses in the pews, and the number of people that you can get down the aisle, and the tickets, that are sold and all of that but what does Jesus say he says i desire that your fruit that you bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain god wants faithfulness and i know it's hard we get weary in life we get busy the mundane the this the that the coworker the boss the family this and that And we understand there's trouble and there's trial on every side and there's difficulty along the way. But if our life is in Christ, we keep going back to the vine for our life. And when the going gets tough, okay, when the going gets tough, what do we say? The tough get going? But that's really not what it's about. When the going gets tough, we turn to Christ. When we find that we have nothing left... When we, when we see that we have nothing left, we find that Christ is enough because our life is in Him. We keep taking from the vine and we bear fruit that remains. And God wants much fruit. God doesn't want stale fruit. 20 years ago, I served you, Lord. No, God wants, yes, that fruit, but He wants more fruit. He wants much fruit. He wants remaining fruit. What are we doing for the Lord? Sadly, there are many low-fruit-producing Christians today, sadly. They have stale fruit. They're producing very little measurable fruit. They seem to be content with very little church attendance, very little Bible study, very little, if any, exercise of their spiritual gifts, very little service for the Lord. But is that what God's called us to? Is a complacent, calloused, Careless Christianity? Or has he called us to bear fruit, much fruit, and remaining fruits? We close by turning to Psalm chapter number 1, and then we'll be done this morning. Psalm. Psalm 1. Wonderful passage. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We must abide in Christ. We must be in his word. We must faithfully be obedient and trust God for fruitfulness as we depend upon him and as he does his work in our lives and we give the glory to him as that fruitfulness comes forth and that fruit remains so that we hear as we just sung and the reason I chose that song may the Lord find us faithful not only because that song was instrumental at one point in my life when I was struggling and I was having a hard time with a decision I was having to make and Mack Lynch got up and in Bible conference, and he sang that song with all of his heart. And I sat there in that Bible conference, and I about wept, because I was under such conviction. Because I wanted to get out of God's will and do my own thing. And as Mack Lynch sang that song, May the Lord Find Us Faithful. That's where we have to be. Faithful. Even when it's hard. Even when the going gets tough. We remain faithful to the Lord. We find our sustenance, our substance in him. He is the true vine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may you find us faithful. Lord, as hard as life can be, as difficult as it can be, as Lord, we want the easy route. We want the shortcut. Lord, you've told us to remain, to abide in you. Knowing only through you can we do anything. Without you, we can do nothing. Lord, I pray that you do your work in our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here who does not know Christ as their Savior, may today they turn from their sin and turn to you in saving faith. Lord, I pray that you will help us to once again be restored and renewed in our obedience and our faithfulness and our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marty's going to come and he's going to lead us in 144, just the first stanza of Day by Day. Wonderful.